Limits Collective. If you have questions, comments, or ideas, call Pushing Limits at 510-848-6767, extension 636. I'm your host, Jean Stewart, saying thanks for listening and keep on pushing limits. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover Open Book. And welcome to Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover. I'm Amelia Gonzalez. What can a 12-year-old tell us about the realities of life, about poverty, isolation, sexism, and death? Esperanza, a young girl growing up in the Latino quarter of Chicago, does just that in the play we're talking about today, La Casa in Mango Street. Teatro Vision in San Jose opens this year's season with a revival of a very popular play, a Spanish-language adaptation of the classic book, The House on Mango Street, that is running until November 2nd. I'm very honored to have in the studio with me the director of the play, Wilma Bonet. She has directed last season's critically acclaimed production of School of the Americas. She also directed Dog Lady and Evening Star, The Cook, Drive My Coche, La Posada Magica, and Vieques with Teatro Vision. Her one-person play, Good Grief Lolita, won her the Marion Ross Award. Other awards include the Bay Area Theater Critics Award, Los Angeles Drama Log Award, and the Goodman Award for Outstanding Performance. Welcome to KPFA, Wilma. Thank you, Amelia. <laughs> Let's start with talking about the play La Casa in Mango Street. This play was adapted by Amy Ludwig and has had more than 20 productions. It was adapted from Elena Ponietoska's translation of Sandra Cisneros' work. Why was Spanish the language chosen to work with? Um, Elisa uh, Gonzalez Moreno, she likes to include as part of the season a Spanish-speaking play. I mean, more and more we're doing that. And we have super titles for those of you who do not, um, not yet know <laughs> Spanish. But, and it's um, peppered with English along oh, the way. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, peppered yeah. because, and that was my choice. I, I felt that uh, the play needed to stay in Chicago. And if it was, if it had a lot of Mexican terminology, it puts it in Mexico DF rather uh-huh. than Chicago. So I felt that some of the characters could say some English because we're very much growing up in this, in the United States speaking Spanglish <laughs> in right. that respect. So it, um, it lends a flavor to that and it kind of hooks people in who, who are very much, uh, English speakers and they feel connected to it. You know, and don't feel so off-put by the uh, supertitles. Uh-huh. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about that because, um, you know, Teatro Campesino is uh, Luis Valdez, 
the father of Chicano theater, uh, along the way has used Spanglish. And a lot of times Spanglish, especially back in the day, wasn't taken seriously as much as maybe it is now. Do you feel like it's being accepted more? Whether it's accepted or not, <laughs> it's, um, it's a lot of people use it. It's a natural element that happens with time. And as you're learning English or if you're, if you're in a household where uh, you have Spanish speaking parents, if you grew up speaking Spanish and English, that naturally happens. Um, even now in, in this time at my age, my brain just shifts. If I can't find the word in English, I'll find it in Spanish and I'll say it and then somebody will translate it and etc. And mind you, I grew up, I was born and grew up in this country, but my parents spoke Spanish. So uh, I'm very proud of the fact that I made a point of learning how to read Spanish by reading El Diario La Prensa in New York. <laughs> right. Uh -huh. You know, and so um, that was... My goal as 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 a as a kid in junior high, because I wanted to speak as many languages as possible. And New York, being the center of of internationalism, with the United Nations being there, I felt it was important that you know if you wanted to meet interesting people, right. you know, you better have a few languages <laughs> under your belt. <laughs> You wouldn't know that by the laws, of course, with uh, English-only laws, especially in California. Well, that's ridiculous because in Europe, everybody speaks at least mm -hmm. two languages. And I'm shocked, like, even more. Because I remember traveling with the San Francisco Mime Troupe in Europe, in Germany, of all places. And uh, we kept asking around, see English, see English. But then one day we got tired of it, and there was a lot of Latinos on the tour. And we said, see Espanol. And you got people saying, see. Sí. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, you have to become, we, more and more the world is becoming smaller and more international. And we have mixed races, we got mixed cultures, you know, all this is blending and, um, we, even though we keep and struggle to keep our culture, you know, which is really beautiful, it is no longer like the purity that we think exists. Can you talk a little bit about how that impacts you as a director? I, I know that you've worked with Teatro Vision throughout years, but you've also done other work that could be considered more mainstream. What is that acceptance? I know that it's, it's what we practice, that a lot of people practice it, especially along places in high Latino concentration areas, such as Chicago, New York, L.A., and almost everywhere in between. But in the arena of theater, is that still a challenge? Um, it's always a challenge. Um, people have their own conception about what should be represented on stage, but more and more there's been a movement in the last 10, 15, 20 years that um, the stage and film should reflect the, the population, and that is a multicultural population. And so um, it is heading in that way, although not as quickly as I would like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, um, we need more writers, more Latino writers and more uh, Latino directors and and producers who can actually put this out. It's great to have Teatro Vision because they're allowed to put stories that we normally are not used to seeing on a regular stage. Um, now the main stage is that are mostly controlled um, by, well, I have to say Anglo, people who are 
producers, directors, or artistic directors and producers of, like, let's say, Berkeley Rep and ACT, they're really uh, trying to put a multicultural season together. So, right. you know, they have right. to fit in the Afro-American play or the black play and also an Asian-American play and uh, and other plays that exist as part of their season. So people are, I see that being reflected more where they're trying to be multicultural. Um, and even they're playing with putting other ethnicities on stage. It used to be really bad. You used to not see Latinos or blacks in, in the non-traditional roles. And now it's, it's, it's happening more and more. When you see that happening more and more, you have Berkeley Rep here uh, with Yellow Jackets, and it's been really successful. And you, you have uh, August Wilson's play right now, uh, playing with Joe Turner's coming right. on. It's going to be playing also at Berkeley Rep. Right, yeah. exactly. Uh, it, does the audience come to mind? Because I've gone to some of those plays, and it's still uh, the 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 story is there. It's multicultural, and it's generally a white audience. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but, you know, uh, if you look at the high ticket prices, yeah, who's going to be drawn in? The people who have money and, and who are mostly those people, you know, but it's interesting because it depends on the area. Like in San Jose, people go to theater. You saw the house last night. Right, it, was it was full of Latinos full, and there were yes. white people in the audience and there were all mm-hmm. multicultural people in the audience. And that has happened. And, um, so to say that they don't, they're not interested, that that particular population is not interested in going to the theater, that's incorrect. You know, um, you have to, um, develop your audience. And I think, you know, one thing that Teatro Vision has been doing is like they offer a free day and they make it right. available. They actually publicize, you know, Sunday is a free day to come and see theater. This one Sunday coming up right. will right. be that. And, um, and I think other theaters do, but I never hear about, about it as much. It should be publicized so that people will come to the theater and get excited by what's being presented and then therefore find a way to make it one of the things that they look forward to. And I should say that the Mexican Heritage Plaza, the theater there, is such a beautiful venue. Yeah, it's it a great gorgeous. venue. Yeah. Yeah. Huge stage, fly space. You can fly things down, you know. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I'm sure it's a treat for you as it's a director. Almost, oh, honey. <laughs> I, it's like a huge playground, you know. <laughs> and also it has its, its difficulty because for uh, Schools of the Americas, which is a very intimate play, I had to figure out how am I going to do this on this huge, beautiful stage. And that's when we came up with the idea of building the schoolhouse uh-huh. and it kind of floated out into the, to the audience. So, um, yeah. So it's got, it's, it's, it's great fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got challenges and it's also fun. The voice of Wilma Bonet, and we're talking about the play that just opened last night, La Casa in Mango Street. It's the translation of Sandra Cisneros' work, and they come so alive in the series of vignettes that you put together, where you cover a year in the life of Esperanza, her familia, and her neighborhood, with her narrating as an older Esperanza. What is the benefit of that reflective point of view? Well, um, we discussed that. 
um, white to Esperanza. We have Esperanza the older right. mm-hmm. and Esperanza the younger. And I think it's a matter of, uh, I remember reading about Sandra Cisneros' experience in Iowa when she was like the only Latina around, you know, and she felt very much um, closed off and didn't relate to what she was studying at uh, at the university there. And um, I think she was inspired by one particular book that spoke uh, more of a, about personal stories. And she started writing this book, uh, House of Mango Street, with the stories from her neighborhood. And I'm glad she wrote it because, you know, when I read it, I said, damn, of course, that relates to me. I remember the bad girl. I remember the cute guy. I remember all these people in the neighborhood. It's just like perfect. And she wrote from out of her solitude, she wrote this beautiful um, book that is so easy to read and is so relatable. Everybody relates to that, to that life and that story, you know, growing up, uh, feeling not being able to fit in, wanting something more than what you have. You know, it's all these hopes and dreams and all the stories around her and how she knew she ne- needed to get out and come into her own. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I think, you know, one relates to it. And so having the two voices, one the older, is is now her looking back at those people and returning back to Mango Street in her memory. So the whole play is really a memory. I mean, that's why I start the way I start with her in the audience rather than the old Esperanza is in the audience. And as she approaches the stage, it comes back to her and the street comes back to her. And and when she was little, comes back to her. So then younger Esperanza shares the stage with her. And at times she sees her and sometimes she doesn't. Right. The younger Esperanza. Mm -hmm. But... Eventually, she chooses to see her, you know. And, I mean, there's a point in the play with the dark point mm-hmm. in payasos, right. clowns. Yes. And um, at that point, she doesn't want to remember. The old Esperanza does not want to remember. It was not a good experience. And she tries to stop her younger self. But as younger people are, we sometimes say, no, you know, I want to I have to find this friend of mine, even though it's going to get her into a situation where she doesn't want to be. But, you know, you can't stop time. You can't stop what happened, you know. That was such a, an effective way of doing that because you could see the almost the single turmoil in both of the women. It was it was a really um, moving moment and a very hard moment for oh, yeah. all all women, unfortunately, that know of someone or uh, or have experienced um, abuse. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's funny that we found uh, elements of abuse all over the place right. in very subtle moments. And I said, exactly. what's going on here? You know, in Alicia Quevez Ratones, Alice who see uh, rats. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. It's like I had no idea. What is this? And then we said, oh, my God. We started playing. We said, oh, very subtle. There's some kind of abuse going on, you know. So it it shows up, but in in very subtle ways, you know. Exactly. 
Right. So, and, and you talk about immigration as well. You you have the woman that comes and her her baby's learning English. Oh yes, no speak her, English. No speak English. Yes, <laughs> yeah. She yes, comes. Of you no know, the father English. works, and then he finally sends for his wife, and she comes, and and it's very hard to adapt. Yes. To adapt to this culture, to a city. She probably comes from a pueblito, you know. And it, it's charming the way it's written, but yes. it's heartbreaking that she still misses the, the, her own country. You right. know, and, right. and her husband tries to make her understand that this is home now. <laughs> right. But, right. You know, she doesn't get it, you know, right. and, and it's sad. People being displaced and um, trying to deal with that, you know, it's it throws you for a, a loop totally. Right. You know, and some people never get over it. They never. So that's why they never speak English. They they really hold on tight to what they know or what or their love for their country. I wanted to remind people that they're listening to Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover. I'm Amelia Gonzalez, and I have the pleasure of, of having Wilma Bonet, and we're talking about the play she's directing, La Casa in Mango Street, the adaptation of Sandra Cisneros' book, The House on Mango Street, that was published in 1984. The play just opened Teatro Vision season at the Mexican Heritage Plaza last night in San Jose, and will be running through November 2nd. Teatro Vision has been kind enough to offer us a pair of tickets to give away so stay tuned for more information as well as giving you the opportunity for a pair of tickets. Wilma the stories of La Casa and Mango Street as we were just speaking before the break were written over 20 years ago and yet the vignettes could still be about any given barrio in 2008. Yep. I think in particular the issue of immigration as we were talking about I was moved by the story of Gerardo No Name the mm -hmm. story of so many immigrants that get lost. Yeah. Totally. And um, it's funny, the way it was in the play was a little different from what I chose to do. They kind of made a, a whole movement of, you know, he really dies, you see him die and stuff. But the thing, the way the story spoke to me was that she briefly meets this man. And that's what happens. And, you know, you go to a club, you meet somebody, you don't know who he is. Right. But because you were the last person who saw him. You know, you are the one to give the information to the police and to the hospital about what happened to him, hit and run, you know. And But nobody knows about him. And all you know is that he was dancing and enjoying himself in the club. Mm -hmm. And so I chose to keep him that way, that memory of him just dancing. But nobody knew anything about him, you know. And it's it's kind of sad because that's how we are. You know, we're creatures that pass each other in the night. <laughs> and right. we don't know each other. Right. We don't know what's really happening, you know, what if he had family or not, you know. It's all... It's a different book that we haven't opened, you know, so... And captures the immigrant experience in the mm -hmm. way of you could reinvent yourself. Oh, yeah, totally. And yet your family could never know what ended up Happening, happening to you, to you. yeah, and that's the story of so many migrantes. Oh yeah, my mom, it. she, she has so many stories of different aunts and uncles who came to the United States and they lost touch, so she doesn't know if they're alive or dead, you know, where they ended up. So you know, the whole thing of flying to a different country and not being able to be in touch 
if that family doesn't keep up communication in some form, whether it was letters or whatever, they're gone. And you right. you never know what happened to them, you know? We had the opportunity of living in Oaxaca and uh, for a year, and and it was very interesting to go to these pueblitos. And everyone had a story. Every single town has a multitude of stories of that that cousin, that son, that brother, that that uh, sister that left, and they they didn't hear them. Yeah, they, didn't hear from them ever again. Yeah, Minnesota. And then you don't know. Iowa, Idaho, all these places that you think, oh my goodness, you know, they yeah. just kind of... My mom was interesting because for a long time she didn't keep in touch with the family in Puerto Rico and it was out of embarrassment mm. because it was seen that you were coming to this country, you automatically became rich and that wasn't the case, you know, Um it was a struggle and you had to work in the factories and and the hope was you come here, you make that money and you send it back to the pueblo so that, you know, everybody would be well. They wanted wonderful things for their family who were poor back home, but found out that that wasn't as easy to a- obtain. I wanted to talk about your work. I especially wanted to have you talk about your one-person play, Good Grief Lolita, that toured the Bay Area, including Teatro Vision, and is actually published in Puro Teatro, Latina Anthology, and was the recipient of the Marion Ross Award. Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Uh, Good Grief Lolita, um, it's a personal biographical story, and I was looking to do a one-person show, and so I join a workshop um actors who, who write and um and after a couple of attempts i came in with a monologue of a little girl in the hospital who has cystic fibrosis and is seeing another child coming in and um and they start having this conversation about what they have uh-huh. <laughs> and um the professor at the time says, that's it. That's your story. <laughs> you know? Uh, so I wrote this story and it's based on, um, on my daughter who passed away at the age of seven. Her name was Lolita. And, um, there were things, I always felt that she was an old soul and, um, she loved theater as well. So it was very interesting. So I, I wrote this play, um, about my experience with her and what she left behind to me. A lot of things were outrageous, and everything in the play is true. I mean, her thing about sex, her thing about um, the color of people on a bus, you know, this uh-huh. this bus ride that we take, and she's looking at people, and she's just learned about Martin Luther King, and she goes, okay, that person is black, that person is yellow, but Asian people don't look, they don't look yellow. Uh-huh. Why do they call them yellow? <laughs> you know, and that person is, is black. I am brown because she was brown. <laughs> and you are white, mommy. <laughs> you know? Yeah, trying to explain the mestiza head throws everything off. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, wow, this bus has all these colors on it right now, you know? And then uh, towards the end, and she did this for real, she sees this black man walk to the end of the bus, and she says, excuse me, mister, you don't have to sit back there anymore. You can sit on the front now. Oh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> 
<laughs> and the whole bus just died laughing. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so I wrote, that was one of the monologues, which I also associated how she experienced um, um, prejudice because she used to cough a lot uh-huh. and people would make fun of her at school, you know, uh, because of her illness and stuff. So um, it's about that and how me as a mother dealt with her her death and 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 what came out of it you know so it's a celebration of her death and of her life cuz when when she passed away we actually had a bakine which was like a celebration of a child's life and um you have you know food and drinks and you sing and you dance and totally and and the funeral home they they just fell for it they loved it uh-huh, <laughs> you know? right. it was a big party you right. know but it was a way of of saying goodbye to her mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah so so i wrote that and it it was a very personal story so i didn't know who was going to relate to it and i just had people coming to me saying my god i just lost somebody this was like the most healing play ever and then the cystic fibrosis foundation which is a organization of a group of parents who deal with cystic fibrosis uh relatives um invited me to perform it at a convention that they had in palo alto and um people thanked me and so they said thank you because i thought i was the only one right, right. <laughs> you know it's true. so yeah i wrote it and you know people related to it and it was great and even though it's a uh, sad theme. It's also so full of life. Well, you know, sometimes the length of life doesn't determine the, yeah, the right. huge impact. It's or the, the quality. Huge, yes, yeah, yes. a lot of people come up to me and they say, yeah, I remember Lolita. Do you know that I took her picture into my operation room? They would say things like this to me all the time. People would just say, oh, they send me pictures of her, you know, like, like she was their guardian angel or something, you know. Everybody had a unique experience with her, you know. It, it kind of impacted their lives. And I think as a, an inspiration to other people where life does happen, you picking that huge point in your life and writing about it. Sandra Cisneros writing about her year as an adolescent, which many times we we skim over and we don't realize the impact that it leaves. Oh, we don't those, want to remember, right? We you don't know? want to remember. But those they're, stories are they're so very important. Valuable. Yes, they're valuable because they actually help people deal and cope with their lives. Mm-hmm. It's very important that they get put out because sometimes people close themselves up and they think that they're the only one going through this moment in life. It might be horrific. It might be. Um, jolting you know and you don't want to share it but some there's other people out there who have similar experiences not the same one but very similar and and by writing these stories you heal you totally heal and heal others and that's what Sandra Cisnero has done I mean that's what I hope I've done with my play although intentionally I didn't think it was going to do that it was it was very different I realized that it became a healing tool rather than um, than just a personal story. What a good surprise. Yeah. <laughs> totally surprised me, you know. And I, I think, you know, I have Lolita to thank for that, you know. And thank God that I was able to write it down. That story would ne- never have come forth, you know. 
That's what we need, more writers out there. That's right. Write your stories. (laughs) Okay, you heard it from Wilma Bonet, and we've been talking about her work, as you heard, and also about the play La Casa en Mango Street, which she is directing. I want to thank you so much for joining me, Wilma Bonet. Sure, Amelia. (laughs) It's been a pleasure. The play just opened Teatro Vision season at the Mexican Heritage Plaza last night in San Jose and will be running through November 2nd. Performances are Thursday through Saturday at 8 p.m. and on Sundays at 2 in the afternoon. The Mexican Heritage Plaza is located at 1700 Elm Rock in San Jose. For tickets and more information, you can go to www.teatrovision.org. Or you can call area code 408-272-9926. Teatro Vision has been kind enough to offer us a pair of tickets to give away for the performance next Saturday, October 25th at 8 p.m. We'll give them to the 8th caller, so please wait for Free Speech Radio News to start and then you could call in for your free pair of tickets at area code 510-848-4400. Again, for Teatro Vision's play, La Casa in Mango Street, October 25th at 8 p.m. And the number is 510-848-4425. And you could be the eighth caller and pick them up. You've been listening to Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover, with Erica Bridgman at the controls. I've been your host, Amelia Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. Teatro Vision, the Bay Area's Latino theater company, opens its season of plays with La Casa in Mango Street, a Spanish-language adaptation of author Sandra Cisneros' classic book, The House on Mango Street. A coming-of-age story celebrating youth amidst the harsh realities of the 